हेलो एंड नमस्ते दिस इज अ लेटर फ्रॉम द बेसमेंट आई एम माधवन दिस पॉडकास्ट कवर्स एवरीथिंग अबाउट बीइंग अ हिंदू इन सेक्युलर सोशलिस्ट इंडिया वी पब्लिश अ न्यू एपिसोड हियर एवरी वीक डिस्कसिंग द इंटरसेक्शन ऑफ कल्चर एंड पॉलिटिक्स इन इंडिया फ्रॉम अ हिंदू पर्सपेक्टिव इफ दैट समथिंग यू आर इंटरेस्टेड इन प्लीज सब्सक्राइब टू दिस पॉडकास्ट ऑन एप्पल पॉडकास्ट स्पॉटिफाई गूगल पॉडकास्ट एमेजॉन म्यूजिक जियो सावन गाना or anywhere else you listen to podcasts last sunday 15th august was india's 75th independence day this saturday 21st august malayalis all over the world celebrated onam happy onam to every malayali celebrating the festival past week also had the anniversary of another event from indian history a gruesome and very painful memory for a lot of hindus in kerala something that started 100 years ago on 20th august 1921 and continued for 7 to 8 months at the end of it hundreds of hindu men women and children were murdered hundreds of hindu women were raped and thousands of hindus were converted to islam at the edge of a sword thousands more were left homeless and rendered refugees in their own land and when india became free Independent India's historians relegated these victims of Islamic terror to collateral damage of freedom struggle. Their genocide was whitewashed as peasant rebellion. All this in the name of preserving the mythical secular fabric of our wondrous nation. In this week's deep dive, I will tell you what happened to Hindus of Malabar in 1921. This is the real story of Malabar Hindu genocide based on first-hand accounts of victims and witnesses. not what's written by marxist historians in textbooks welcome to the basement before we get to the main topic of this letter let's quickly go through some news from the past week prime minister shri narendra modi declared that from this year onwards 14th august will be observed as partition horrors remembrance day this is a much delayed but very welcome decision by the government partition of india to create pakistan is one of the most bloody chapters in our recent history and it is important that what happened at that time and in the run up to that and the kind of ideology and environment that gave birth to the partition movement should be studied understood and remembered so that something like that doesn't happen again only if we learn from history will we be able to prevent it from repeating the government should not stop at just announcing a remembrance day a memorial or a museum should be established similar to the holocaust remembrance museum every year they should be used as an occasion to educate our people especially the younger generation that seems to be enamored by the woke ideology and things like aman ki aasha because the ideology that resulted in the partition and the horrors because of it is still active in our country and around the world and it is the same ideology that has once again taken over afghanistan at the same time as we were celebrating our 75th independence day on august 15th in india taliban terrorists completed the takeover of afghanistan by taking control of that country's capital kabul since then everything that the world feared about a taliban rule has become reality atrocities against women especially underage girls minorities and those who worked with the previous government have been transmitted thanks to social media we saw the pictures of hundreds of people running behind aeroplanes 
trying to escape from the country. Some were even hanging on to planes that were taking off, eventually falling to their death. What seems to have shocked everyone is how easy it was for Taliban to take back after Americans had kicked them out 20 years ago. Remember, US had invaded Afghanistan in 2001 immediately after the 9/11 attacks. To think that the most powerful country in the world spent 20 years, trillions of dollars and lives of hundreds of soldiers and still couldn't eliminate a ragtag group of terrorists is just unbelievable. Like the US President Joe Biden remarked, the difference probably is the will to fight. The worst part of this entire thing is that Americans have left behind a lot of sophisticated weapons while hastily abandoning Afghanistan. This includes more than 200 advanced fighter jets. Now all that is in Taliban's hands. In effect, what Americans did is to take over a medieval underdeveloped country, pour in trillions of dollars in modern military equipment and hand everything over to Taliban terrorists. This is a very concerning situation for all of us in India. It's not the Americans who will have to deal with the consequences of Taliban getting its hands on advanced weapons. We already had a rogue nation on our western borders to deal with. Now there's another one. Remember in 1999 when Islamist terrorists hijacked an Air India flight, they took it straight to Taliban controlled Kandahar. and we had to release a bunch of hardcore terrorists including masood azhar to get back the hostages we are still suffering the consequences of that right before taliban take over government managed to rescue and airlift hundreds of indians from afghanistan but there are hundreds more maybe even thousands still trapped there let's all pray that all of them manage to escape without any harm what was amusing to watch in the past week was the reaction of left liberals to all this there was a lot of mental gymnastics to paint taliban as some sort of noble figures there were those who said this is new taliban it is now past the old barbaric ways immediately we saw videos of this new taliban dragging people out of their homes and beating or shooting them to death then they said taliban's attitude towards women has changed they're going to let women work and go to school they said immediately came the clarification yes but only as allowed under sharia then came the videos of young girls being dragged away from their homes and female news anchors getting fired from their jobs the next coping mechanism of leftists was that oh the taliban are at least doing press conferences they are so much better than modi as if on cue came the reports of journalists and their relatives being hunted down in afghanistan It's really not a great time to be a left liberal propagandist. Last week, the Tamil Nadu government headed by the Periyarist DMK party went ahead to implement one more item from its hate Hindu agenda. Like I told you in the last letter from the basement, the only defining feature of the Periyarist ideology is hatred for everything Hindu. Just that, nothing else. And a long pending item in their agenda has been the complete destruction of the temple ecosystem in Tamil Nadu. In pursuit of that they have now decided to throw out hundreds of traditional archakas or priests who have been serving the temples for several generations and hundreds of years in their place they have appointed persons from other communities that have not been traditionally associated with the respective temples after they completed some government sponsored certificate course i personally believe the opportunity to serve in a temple as a pujari or archaka 
or a priest should not be restricted to people from any particular community or caste. It should be available to anyone who has the commitment and devotion and goes through the rigor and training required for that. Despite that, I oppose this move of the DMK government for a single reason. Anything bestowed on a person or a community by depriving another person or community of it will not lead to lasting progress, prosperity or peace. That's the reason I also oppose socialism. Anyone who has worked hard to earn something should not be denied that. At the same time, no one deserves to be handed down anything they haven't worked for. While the opportunity to serve a temple should be available to people from all Hindu communities, it should not be through snatching away the rights of those who have dedicated their lives to serve those temples for several generations since hundreds of years. Only those who qualify should have the opportunity and it cannot be through a 30-day or a 100-day certificate course conducted by a secular government. It takes several years of rigorous dedicated training to bring out the kind of devotion required to become eligible to serve our gods. It won't come through a one-show-fits-all kind of a government course. Even for government positions, there is a case being made now to explore lateral entries to bring in subject area expertise. Sanatana Dharma is not like other dogmatic religions where the eternal truth was revealed through a book some thousand or two thousand years ago and things are to remain that way forever. Sanatana Dharma lives through its vibrant traditions and rituals. And each temple has its own tradition, its own practices. A secular state, especially the still colonial Indian state, just cannot grasp such nuances and should not be allowed anywhere near a temple, live alone interfering in its management. But things are the way they are. As much as I hate the judiciary adjudicating matters of religion, the consequence of our four secular constitution is that Hindus are once again left with no option but to look towards the judiciary to rein in the actions of a state executive motivated by a xenophobic ideology. Very soon, in one of the future letters, I'll do a deep dive into this poison called periarist ideology. But in this week's deep dive, I go into what happened in Malabar in 1921. Malabar is the region in the north of Kerala consisting of the present-day districts of Kannur, Koyikod, Vayanad, Malapuram and Palakkad. Before I tell you what happened in 1921, we need to go a little further back in the history to the time when Hyder Ali and Tipu Sultan invaded Malabar. It's during this time that Malabar witnessed violent jihad for the first time, including forced conversions. I'll give you just one example to give you a glimpse of the kind of persecution Hindus faced from Tipu. In March 1789, a Mysorean force of 19,000 men with 46 field pieces surrounded 2,000 Nayars with their families in an old fort at Kutipuram, the headquarters of the Kadatanad Raja's family, which the besieged defended for several days. At last, finding it untenable, they submitted to Tipu's terms, which were a voluntary profession of the Mohammedan faith or a forcible conversion with deportation from their native land. The unhappy captives gave a forced assent and on the next day, the rite of circumcision was performed on all the males, every individual of both sexes being compelled to close the ceremony by eating beef. This achievement was held out as an example to the other detachments of the army. Christian and pagan women were forcibly married to Mohammedans. Today, 
There are many in Kerala, many of them Hindus, even Nayars, who claim that eating cow meat has always been a part of Kerala's culinary tradition. No, it wasn't. Beef was imposed on our forefathers as a symbol of slavery by religious fanatics. Killing cow and force-feeding her meat was always the worst kind of humiliation heaped on a Malayali Hindu. Those who claim otherwise are not only ignorant of our history, but are disrespecting the memory of our ancestors' valour and are accepting slavery to their persecutors. Hindus who did not renounce their faith were either murdered by Tipu or had to run away to take refuge in the neighbouring Hindu kingdom of Travancore. The lands and property belonging to Hindus who escaped were confiscated and distributed among those who agreed to convert. As per some estimates, almost a quarter of the Nair population of Malabar was murdered during Tipu's invasion. To punish Travancore for giving shelter to Hindu refugees, Tipu declared war in December 1789. The Nair army of Travancore, along with the British forces, resisted the tyrant and pushed him back. Following the Third Anglo-Mysore War, Tipu was defeated and Malabar came under the control of British East India Company. Once under British rule, the lands redistributed by Tipu were restored to their original rightful owners following the due judicial process in courts. This, however, did not go down well with the Moplas, as the Muslims of the region are called. What followed was a series of violent outbreaks which included rape, forcible conversion and murder of Hindus, desecration of temples by slaughtering cows in the premises and decorating the idol with the murdered animal's remains. The primary objective of these outrages by the Moplas was to terrorize the Hindus of the area into converting as they considered it their sacred duty to establish an Islamic state, just like in today's times. This is what Mr. T. L. Strange, who was appointed as Special Commissioner in Malabar to inquire into the causes of these outrages, said in his report. A feature that has been manifestly common to the whole of these affairs is that they have been one and all marked by the most decided fanaticism and this, there can be no doubt, has furnished the true incentive to them. The Hindus, in the parts where the outbreaks have been most frequent, stand in such fear of the Moplas as mostly not to dare to press for their rights against them. And there is many a Mopla tenant who does not pay his rent and cannot, so imminent are the risks, be evicted. Other injuries are also put up with uncomplained of. Details of these pre-1921 Mapila outrages are given in the book The Mopla Rebellion 1921 written by C. Gopala Nair who was a civil servant at that time. I will briefly go through some such incidents from this period to give you an idea of what was going on. On April 5, 1839 in Pallipuram in Valluvanad, Torayam Pulakkal Atan and another of Pallipuram Amsham. Amsham is an administrative unit in a village. These people killed one Kailil Raman and then set fire to and burnt a Hindu temple, took post in another temple and there they were attacked by the Tahsildar and his peons and were shot by a Taluk peon. On April 19, 1840, in Irimbulli in Aranad, Parathodil Ali severely wounded one Odayatta Kunyunni Nair and another and set fire to Kidangil temple. He was shot dead by a Taluk peon on the following day. On December 11, 1843, at Pandikkad, Anavattatta Soliman and nine others 
killed one Karukkamana Govinda Musad, the Adhigari of Pandikkad. Adhigari is the uh, village head. They defiled two temples and took post in a house. Troops were deputed but the Moplas rushed at them and were killed. On January 4th, 1852, at Matanur in Kottayam, Choryoth Mayan and 14 others supported by a mob of 200 Moplas butchered all the inmates, 18 in number, of Kalatil Keshavan Tangal's house and extirpated the family, defiled the temples, burnt houses and finally fell on January 8, 1852 in a desperate attack on the house of Kalyad Nambiar. On June 18, 1884, Kannanjeri Raman, who had previously embraced and subsequently renounced Islam, was attacked in a most savage manner by two Moplas. He however made his escape. Three Moplas were transported for life and three others deported. A fine of Rs. 15,000 was imposed on the Amsham and out of which 1,000 was to be paid as compensation to Raman for his wounds. This proposal rankled in the minds of the Moplas and one Kolakkadan Kutiyashan and 11 others proceeded to the house of Raman's brother Choikutti who was greeted with a volley of firearms carried by the Moplas. Choikutti and his son were wounded and the Moplas set fire to his house. They left Malappuram and on the way mortally wounded a Brahmin and proceeded to Trikkallur temple. On 1st May 1885, A gang of Maplas consisting of TV Viran Kutti and 11 others broke open the house of a Cheruman. Cheruman is a, a Dalit caste in Kerala. They broke open into the house of a Cheruman called Kutti Kuryan and murdered him, his wife and four of their children and set fire to the house and a neighboring temple. The victim had become a convert to Islam many years ago and had reverted to his original religion 14 years ago. The Maplas retreated during the night of 2nd May onto their own countryside and in the early morning of the 3rd day they seized the house of a wealthy Nambudri Brahmin landlord of Ponmundam in Ponani. The appalling tragedy of 1896 was unprecedented as well for the number of fanatics that took part in it as for the swift and terrible retribution that overtook them. The saddest part of the whole affair was its want of reason. The few survivors who could point no single grievance that would bear examination. On 25th February 1896, a gang of 20 Maplas went out on warpath from Chambrasheri Amsham and for five days in ever-increasing numbers terrorized the countryside. Hindus were murdered or their kudumis cut off and they were summarily converted to Islam. Temples were desecrated and burnt. Houses were looted in search for food, money and arms. Finally, on March 1st, hard-pressed by the pursuit of troops, the fanatics entered the Manjeri Karanamulpad's temple, determined to make their last stand in a spot hallowed in their eyes as the scene of the first triumphant act of tragedy of 1849. In February 1919, a gang of fanatics headed by a dismissed Mapla head constable began to give trouble. Following their usual methods, they broke into and defiled the temples, killed almost every Brahmin and Nair who fell in their way and finally died in resistance to the police force sent out against them. In this one outbreak, 
four Brahmins, namely three Nambudris and one Embrandri, and two Nayars were put to death by the fanatics. This was the climate in Malabar in the early 1900s. It was in this climate that Mahatma Gandhi and Congress Party launched the Khilafat movement in collaboration with rabid Islamists like Muhammad Ali and Shaukat Ali. Both of them later went on to join Muslim League and spearheaded the partition movement. Basically, Khilafat movement had nothing to do with India or our independence struggle. It was intended to create a pan-Islamist constituency across India and to pressure the British to protect the interests of the Sultan of Turkey who lost most of his power and territory after suffering a defeat in First World War. Gandhi offered unilateral support of Congress to the Khilafat movement in a hope that this would draw Muslims into the freedom struggle. Till then, there was very little participation from Muslims in independence movement. In Malabar region, the Khilafat movement was fear-headed by Islamic preachers with Congress leaders providing support. The Mapla masses were attracted into the Khilafat movement with a promise that once the British are driven out from India, a Khilafat government would replace them with Khalifa as its head. So, while the Congress's objective was Swaraj, the objective of Khilafatists was very specific, to establish an Islamic state in India. Mahatma Gandhi, along with Shaukat Ali, addressed a massive meeting in Calicut on 18th August 1920. This put the Khilafat movement in Malabar on a very high gear. Though Congress Party's participation in the Khilafat movement was expected to bring Hindus and Muslims on a common platform against the British, because of the history of the region, with Mapla outrages that went back as far as mid-1800s, the alliance was extremely fragile. The Khilafat meetings would often end up in clashes between Hindus and Muslims. One such incident occurred on 31st March 1921 at the Panur Mosque. That day, during a Khilafat meeting at the mosque, a fight broke out between Maplas on one side and Hindus on the other side, Nayars and Thiyas. Following this, a gang of Maplas attacked and destroyed a local temple. You can see a pattern in this every time the Maplas are outraged, they go around destroying temples. That seems to be, and still is, their standard operating process. One of the prominent Khilafat leaders in Malabar was a preacher from Tirurangadi named Ali Musliar. In July 1921, after he attended All India Khilafat Conference at Karachi, Ali Musliar and his followers started making preparations for an armed uprising against the British. They started recruiting volunteers for this purpose who would be sworn on Quran that they would be ready to die for the cause of establishing Khilafat rule in India. These Khilafat troops of Ali Musliar would parade through the streets of Malabar in their khaki uniforms, carrying guns and swords, and would go around terrorizing anyone who did not support Khilafat. These weapons that Ali Musliar and his followers carried were primarily obtained by looting either the local police stations or the houses of Hindu landlords. In one such incident, a gun was stolen from Pukotur Palace. When police searched the house of a local Khilafat leader named Vadakkevitil Mohammad for the missing gun, Hundreds of maplas armed with knives, swords and spears gathered from the neighbouring villages, attacked the palace and held the residents hostage for several hours. On 20th August 1921, the district magistrate of Malabar received information that a number of weapons were stored in a mosque in Tirurangadi. So, he went there to investigate 
and after the searches arrested ali musliar and two other collaborators this event is generally considered the beginning of the mapla rebellion runners were dispatched to summon ali musliar's troops from neighboring villages to drum up religious hysteria like it happens even to this day rumors were spread that the police had desecrated the famous mambram mosque but the truth was that the said mosque was on an entirely different side of the river and police didn't even go near it soon a mob of several hundred mapla surrounded the magistrate and his troops in the resulting clash two british officers were murdered what followed was days of unbridled uncontrolled reign of terror arson and loot in the beginning british officers and administrative bodies were attacked courts offices and police stations were vandalized public buildings and records were destroyed telephone lines were cut railway stations and bridges were demolished the civil administration ceased to exist most villages under ernad valwanad and punani taluks were declared independent and part of a khilafat kingdom khilafat leaders like ali musliar varian kunat kunya ahmed haji sidik koyatangal and chambrasheri tangal declared themselves as khilafat kings and started imposing taxes and making laws the reign of terror lasted for several months and ended only in january 1922 after the so called khilafat king varian kunat kunya ahmed haji was captured once the british administration was driven out the maplas turned their full attention to their old foes the hindus of malabar murders decorities forced conversions and outrages on hindu women became order of the day hundreds of temples were razed to the ground hundreds of hindus were murdered thousands were converted under the threat of the sword in a letter written to lady reading the wife of then viceroy to india this is how the women of malabar described their suffering your ladyship is doubtless aware that though our unhappy district has witnessed many mopla outbreaks in the in the course of the last 100 years the present rebellion is unexampled in its magnitude as well as unprecedented in its ferocity but it is possible that your ladyship is not fully apprised of all the horrors and atrocities perpetrated by the fendish rebels of the many wells and tanks filled up with the mutilated but often only half dead bodies of our nearest and dearest who refused to abandon the faith of our fathers of pregnant women cut to pieces and left on the roadside and in the jungles with the unborn baby protruding from the mangled corpses of our innocent and helpless children torn from our arms and done to death before our eyes and of our husbands and fathers tortured flayed and burnt alive of our helpless sisters forcibly carried away from the midst of kith and kin and subjected to every shame and outrage which the vile and brutal imagination of these inhuman hellhounds could conceive of of thousands of our homesteads reduced to cinder mounds out of sheer savagery and a wanton spirit of destruction of our places of worship desecrated and destroyed and of the images of the deity shamefully insulted by putting the entails of slaughtered cows where flower garlands used to lie or else smashed to pieces of the wholesale looting of hard and wealth of generations reducing many who were formerly rich and prosperous to publicly beg for a piece or two in the streets of calicut to buy salt or chili or betel leaf rice being mercifully provided on the various relief agencies these are not fables the wells full of rotting skeleton 
the rains which were once our dear homes the heaps of stones which once were our places of worship they are still there to attest to the truth the cries of our murdered children in their death agonies are still ringing in our eyes and will continue to haunt our memory till death brings us peace we remember how driven out of our native hamlets we wandered starving and naked in the jungles and forests we remember how we choked and stifled our babies cries lest the sound should betray our hiding place to our relentless pursuers we still vividly realize the moral and spiritual agony that thousands of us passed through when we were forcibly converted into the faith professed by these bloodthirsty miscreants we still have before us the sight of the unendurable and lifelong misery of those fortunately few of our most unhappy sisters who born and brought up in respectable families have been forcibly converted and then married to convict coolies for five long months not a day has passed without its dread tale of horror to unfold on 18th november 1921 this is what madras mail reported i quote in the point of magnitude organization and the atrocities committed by the rebels this rising in the mopla country is unparalleled in the history of malabar or for the matter of that in the history of whole of india such were the horrors and atrocities suffered by our forefathers so that they could pass on their faith and gods to the future generations to us eventually the british imposed the martial law in malabar and army marched in to bring things under control most of the so called khilafat kings were captured tried and put to death some 2337 jihadis were killed another 1652 were injured and more than 45000 imprisoned most of them shipped off to kalapani however the pain and persecution of hindus in malabar did not end with this the british did their duty even if belatedly by suppressing the violence and protecting the hindu victims but the same can't be said of our historians and politicians especially those who came into power after 15th august 1947 The way Malabar Hindu genocide of 1921 has been documented by Marxist historians who control the narrative in our textbooks is nothing short of a tragedy and no less than a continuation of atrocities heaped on Hindus by the Moplas. Just like terrorists in Kashmir are romanticized as sons of headmasters or aspiring football players or the way media is right now trying to romanticize the gun-toting terrorists from Delhi riots. Marxist historians invented justifications to project the mopla terrorists in a sympathetic light islamist bigots like ali musliar and varin kunat kunyamad haji were portrayed as patriots fighting for freedom from the british rule murderers rapists arsonists and terrorists were converted into freedom fighters by the left liberal establishment so much so that even today the town hall in malappuram municipality is named after varin kunat congress party celebrates his death anniversary with great pride and movies and dramas are produced that eulogize the mass murderer the hindu victims on the other hand have been turned into some sort of villains who deserved the punishment the evil janmi landlords who exploited the working class the informers who collaborated with the british the savarna fascists who deserved to be looted raped and chopped to pieces this is despite numerous reports clearly establishing that it was not an agrarian distress or the ideals of freedom struggle that motivated the mopla but the fanatical hatred of the kafirs and an intention to establish islamic state despite the fact that most victims of mopla violence belonged to dalit castes 
and were landless laborers and marginal farmers. The leftist establishment expended every resource available at its disposal to turn the victims into aggressors and aggressors into freedom fighters. And this fake history is taught to our children to this day in schools, creating generation after generation of Hindus caught in a guilt trap and accepting our own oppression as deserving. You may be wondering why I am talking about this now. How is this discussion relevant now? You may think I am digging a hundred year old wounds. You see, the Hindu genocide that Moplas carried out in Malabar is a direct outcome of the Khilafat movement. And it is the Khilafat movement that eventually resulted in the partition and consequent bloodshed. So understanding what happened in Malabar a hundred years ago is as important as observing the partition horrors remembrance day. Like I said earlier, the ideology that caused the partition is still alive in India. If anything, the dilly-dallying and kid-glove approach of the Indian state towards such elements has emboldened them even more. That's why something like Shaheen Bagh happened in our national capital just last year. That's why we heard slogans like Hindu onse azadi and Hindutva ki khabar kudegi in anti-CIA protests. In fact, it is because of the ideology that led to the partition that there are protests against a law like CAA which would not have a negative effect on even a single Indian citizen. Just in the last few days, police in different parts of the country have registered several cases against those making social media posts or public announcements or taking out rallies in support of Taliban. In fact, the spiritual and ideological inspiration of Taliban is right here in India, the Darul Ulum Devband Seminary in Uttar Pradesh. Therefore, if another partition of our homeland is not to happen, it is important that we understand the ideology that led to it and its proponents. That's all in this letter from the basement. If you like what you heard, please share this with your family and friends. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Search for Letters from the Basement wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Till next time, stay safe and be happy. Be happy.